0: want you to clap if you would classify yourself as a rule breaker. Will you clap? If you're a rule follower, will you clap? I think there might be more rule followers in here than rule breakers, so it's a little ironic that you would choose, West to be your faith community because as a, as a church, we seem to be more about breaking some of the religious rules, the dogma rules that exist in our culture than we do follow them. One of our core values is that we follow the Jesus model, and what that means, that's actually our first core value. What it means is when it comes down to deciding what we do and how we do it, we measure it Against That core value, did Jesus do it? If Jesus did it, then we do it. If Jesus did not do it, then we explore whether or not it fits in with the mission and the vision of our church. And and we we confess and we admit that that is not for everyone. Uh, every, everybody comes to God and comes to faith from different pathways and different angles. And you know, some people really like structure and, and tradition. And there's this stuff called literature liturgies that happen in churches its liturgies is Defined as the work of the people And so actually West has its own liturgy It just isn't a traditional liturgy Like the Nicene Creed or the Apostles Creed So I shared with you a little earlier That you know in the Methodist world There's this structure You have the bishop And that person he or she is over All the pastors in a geographical realm Or all the the pastors in the churches So you have the bishop And then underneath the bishop You have the assistant to the bishop Which I renamed the vice bishop Our vice bishop assistant to the bishop is Amy Coles And she affiliates with West We are her church family Underneath that you have uh, eight people That are district superintendents They are the direct boss to the pastors And then you have the pastors So we got a new district superintendent this year And I was invited to be on a panel That answered some questions That he wanted some information about the churches In our district So I went to this panel It was a, a big honor for me to be able to be there and so I considered it an honor and I took it very seriously and I knew that uh, our voice, our voice as a church, the voice of my colleagues and my peers really mattered in this environment and so I had to put my little snarky self and my sarcastic self in the back of my mind because sometimes when you ruffle my feathers I tend to get a little more animated and a little more outspoken and and that happened on that day because here's what, here's how it went down. There was this consult. From Georgia who was this brilliant Brilliant leader and she kept asking all these Questions and, and it was like a think tank You were able to give any, any Answer you wanted to give and, and every answer was right And so uh, before I tell you that I'll tell you what you see behind me Which is an example of me being busted Breaking the rules last Sunday uh, Dawn Lynch was Coming to my car and I was leaving And she was coming with her phone Like this and I'm like what are you doing She goes oh I wanted to take a picture of your car, and that's odd. I mean, no, people don't just go around taking pictures of my car, and she said, but you're in it, and I'm like, well, yeah. She goes, well, I just wanted your car, and I said, well, why are you taking a picture of my car. And she said, because you break the rules every Sunday. Do you see the sign up there that says no parking on sidewalks or grass at any, and it says me, but um, time. It's supposed to say time. No parking on sidewalk or grass at any time. And every Sunday, except for today, because I knew I was going to talk about it, I have parked right there. In fact, depending on my level of lateness on Sunday morning, it determines how close I am to the steps that lead up into the doors. Now, in my mind, I just that it is okay to break that rule because I need to get in here and not you know, dally out in the parking lot, which is what happens. But uh, I am a rule breaker. I lead a church that is a rule breaker. And so now back to the other story. Sorry, I got those things out of order. I'm with this group of of pastors and lay people and this lady asked the question and she's like, what do you want your district superintendent to know about the churches in your district? We are called the Metro District. There's like 127 churches, Methodist churches in our district that David Hockett oversees the pastors and the people and so she asked this question, what do you want him to know? So we had to brainstorm our answers, give them to our table captain, all answers were correct and good and then we our captain had to read the answers out loud and everything was documented and written down for David to take and then pray over and ponder as he leads us. So what do you want David to know about the churches in your district? And so everybody starts answering and it's all going okay. And then we get to this group and they were sharing their answers and they said, well, we want him to know that there are some renegade pastors and some renegade churches that are not Methodist in our district. And, you know, I just, I mean, honestly, that did not Trip my trigger, I thought, okay, it's all good, you know, whatever. There's lots of different reasons people could be considered non-Methodist. But then they said, there are churches that do not say the Apostles' Creed. And I started to giggle because, like, you we're not going to say that here because frankly. um, It trips people up when they get to a couple of lines in there. And we try to be a place where people who are never going to darken the doors of a traditional church can feel welcome from start to finish of the worship experience. So if right now I had you all stand up and read some pretty deep religious words, uh, there are people that that would make very uncomfortable because they don't know what it means. Everything we do in here, we try to make sure that we, we educate And explain why we do what we do So that people who are encountering God or church or faith for the first time Don't feel left out So when they said, you know, they don't say the creed uh, I, I did giggle and then got offended Because I'm like, you know, guess what Just because we don't say the creed Does not mean that we are not United Methodists Now I have no idea what church they were talking about But the bottom line is it stepped on my toes Because clearly that is how we lead So then the next question was something about What do you want David to know about About you, and how do you want him to help you? So, our group, my group's answer was we want him to help us acknowledge that there are lots of different ways and different avenues that we can use in the 21st century to offer people Jesus Christ. And so after every answer was given and uh, David came back in the room and we were sharing and debriefing with him, he didn't really understand what that first sentence was, the way that it was shared about the creeds and stuff. And so he thought it was an affirming statement that the room wanted to be a bunch of renegade pastors and a bunch of renegade churches. And so uh, after he had a chance to respond, he said, I am all about offering Jesus Christ in whatever way is relevant for the people. And the context in which they are in. So I don't get bent out of shape around rules and things of that nature if it means that we can offer people Jesus Christ. So it's why we, as a church, as a faith community, do things like crafted conversation and yoga, Uh, those are, and golf. I mean, those are things that different people can come to the can come to that experience and encounter faith and God in a new and a relevant way. Jesus was all about breaking the rules. He lived in this culture and this time that they were steeped in rules that had been, you know, written down from these broad principles that existed before before his time. The Jewish law, the Jewish law that originated by the Ten Commandments and the laws that were given to Moses, but they were broad principles. They weren't that specific. And so then when they would encounter something like honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. You know, so what does that really mean? How do you keep it holy? Who defines what holiness is? Who defines how you honor it? And so these people called the scribes, they would get together, these men would get together and they would come up with all the parameters and like the guardrails for what it meant to honor the Sabbath and keep it holy. And so that's where all the 630 plus laws, Jewish laws came into being. And so when Jesus came, and he, as a part of the Jewish, the Jewish tribe, he realizes, hey, you know, these, these laws are getting in the way of us experiencing God. Maybe we should do something about it. So it led him to, to craft his ministry in such a way that he became a true iconoclast, a rule breaker. And so he was the idol smasher of that day. So one afternoon when he had the chance to have them on this mountainside, he had a chance to redefine the rules. He had a chance to tell them about the kingdom of God and and what it could look like, the kingdom of heaven, if they would live a certain way. So the first statement that we have in this thing called the Sermon on the Mount, the Beatitudes, it starts out with, blessed are those. And if we look at what that word means, blessed are those, blessed means, oh, the joy or oh, the bliss. Oh, the bliss of those who do this. And it's really important to remember that when Jesus was talking that day, he was not talking to people who were seeking to learn more about God or about him. He was talking to the religious people of that day. He was talking basically to uh, a bunch of religious know-it-alls. Have you ever met a know-it-all? I want you to think about that for just a second. There's one on TV that we know of. Uh, Take a look at this picture. He's from the Big Bang Theory. Don't you think that if I were wrong, I would know it? Have you ever met anybody like that? Like they just know that they know everything. Being around people that are know-it-alls, that is never any fun because the conversation is rarely two-way. It is all one-sided and frankly, after you're around someone like that, then you, it's easy to become exhausted. But guess what? We all have a little bit of a know-it-all in us. And so this morning, as we explore this, I don't want us to think about all the other people in our lives that are know-it-alls, and certainly don't leave and go call your best friend after worship or your spouse and say, you are such a know-it-all. I want us to look inside of ourselves, because we can all become know-it-alls in in different ways in our lives, and it is easy sometimes to become a know-it-all with our faith, We like religion to make sense, and once we embrace it, once we figure out our pathway that we understand, we like to take religion, we like to take God and fit God in this nice little package, and our faith fits in this package, and it's our foundation that carries us forward throughout life. And that is not a good thing. You know, we don't ever really all figure it all out, but we like to think that we do. We have a God moment at some point in our journey and we encounter a a risen and a living Christ and and then we let that carry us forward. And and it's dangerous because we start thinking we've got it all figured out and we, we don't need to learn anymore. That's what had happened with the Jewish people and the laws that they had. They believed with all of their being that these 630 plus rules and laws were the ways that they were going to encounter God. And it wasn't, that just wasn't attributed to the Jewish people of the time. It's important to remember that when Jesus was walking among, among the people and teaching, that he was not just surrounded by the Jewish people, but there were also Greeks and Romans, and they had their own spirituality and way of looking at things. There were philosophers in the Greek and Roman traditions, and, and the, those folks would rely on those principles of their spirituality. And then you have mythology and the gods that were affiliated with that, and these gods were beautiful. And to those people they were powerful So in Jesus' context He's dealing with the Jewish people The Roman people The Greek people And they all have their own understanding And their own foundation On which they were building their lives Of of spirituality and faith They were not walking around going Oh I, I don't know They felt like they had been enlightened And Jesus knew that they were missing out We miss out on the beauty of the kingdom of God, when we go into our belief system thinking that we've got it all figured out. So that's one of the first Beatitudes that Jesus taught the people on the hillside that day. Oh, the joy, blessed are those, oh, the bliss of those who are poor in spirit. That's the beatitude we're looking at today. Poor in spirit. What does it mean to be poor in spirit? Well, the Greek word for poor is protos. And that does not mean poor as in the way that you and I would think about that word meaning. It means to be totally without, emptied of. Not necessarily financial and fiscal means, but totally empty. So Jesus is talking to them and he's saying, You know, blessed are those, the joy that you will have when you are absolutely positively empty. Now, think about bankruptcy for a minute. If we were to file bankruptcy here and and have nothing, I mean, that's what that means, that we don't have enough. If we were to file bankruptcy physically, the odds are if you're in this room or you're worshiping with us online, you have someone somewhere that can help you just a little at least. When we file bankruptcy, you know, it's not like we are totally empty and totally without So it's really hard for us to even understand the depth of this word and the depth of the meaning of this beatitude because we always have a backup plan. We have a system that we can rely on, a system or a network of friends or our family. But Jesus wanted them to understand that in order to encounter the kingdom of God and the kingdom of heaven, they had to be absolutely positively empty. They needed to have a spiritual bankruptcy, that they could rely on, because it would be then and only then that they could be filled with the the love and the knowledge and the wisdom that came with loving God. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit. Oh, the joy of those who are absolutely, positively empty, because it is when we are empty that we can be filled. Can you imagine hearing this man say that? Especially if you had been raised in, in a tradition that relied on the Greek gods or the ancient philosophers or the Jewish laws and tradition. And all of a sudden, this this man that you've heard some stuff about, and he's doing amazing things, so you've started following him, he starts talking about what it means to be absolutely, totally empty and to do away with all those things and maybe come to the table with a clean slate, a clean mind, ready and willing to listen and see things in a different way. That's really the only time that we can learn and we can grow is if when we come to the table, we are willing to admit that maybe we don't know it all. What does that look like for us? Frankly, that's the way that we are called to approach our faith. And it is in those moments of, of spiritual emptiness that God does God's best work. Years ago under, uh, and I've always been an associate pastor, not a lead pastor until West started. So I've worked for a lot of different leaders. And my job as the associate pastor was always to uphold the the direction of whichever senior pastor I worked for at the time. So there was this one situation and a staff person at the church uh, had decided that he needed to take a different pathway. And he needed to explore his faith, that he had been spoon-fed, in his words, religion all his life, ever since he was a small boy. His mom worked for the church, and so he was in the church every day that, every Sunday that the doors were open, he was there. And he had grown up in this Christian tradition, and, and he was, you know, a literalist, so he believed things to be very, very true and literal. And then uh, as he went to college and he explored new ways and new pathways, he learned that maybe he didn't know it all after all. He met people from the Native American tradition. He met Buddhists and Hindus and, and Muslims. And he began to see that maybe the way that they were encountering God was not necessarily his way, but he wanted to hear more and learn more about them. So he came to me and the senior pastor, and he was on staff at the time in the worship team, and he said, you know, I need to go on a journey. I need to go on a spiritual journey, and I feel like I need to be transparent with you so that you can know where I am. I'm not sure I I buy it all. I'm not sure if you take all the Hebrew scriptures, the Old Testament, and I read it. I'm not sure it's, it's all... Something that I can support and believe in. The senior pastor and I talked and, and we wrestled with this. You know, Do you let someone be on church staff that doesn't hold true to the tenets of the faith? Even if they're just on the worship team. Quote. The senior pastor felt very strongly, and honestly, at, the point, at that point in time, I didn't have an opinion. I was so green and so new to ministry as a profession. I didn't know. I just knew that I really liked this guy. I respected him. And we were getting ready to say, no, you can't be a part of this because you have to believe what we believe. So we got in this big debate, the three of us, and we're like, no, if you don't believe ABC, if you don't believe in the, the virgin birth and the bodily resurrection and the power of the Holy Spirit, then, then you can't work here, you can't be here. And so he left the church. Years later, he emailed me and said, you know, I'd like to connect with you just, just to talk. And so we did, and as we sat there, he shared with me how he'd been to all these different churches over the past two years, and he'd explored all these different walks of life through faith and spirituality, some being very, very traditional, and others being new age and things that I didn't personally know anything about. But, you know, at the end of the conversation, I'm like, well, help me understand, where are you with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? If you can explain that to me... Then maybe we can, like, revisit your engagement and your involvement with the church. And he's like, don't you see? You're missing the point. You're telling me what I have to believe. And you are still trying to feed me my way to God. Is that really what Jesus would have you to do? Now, I mean, that was a bit humbling in the moment because, you know, He was accusing me basically of being a Pharisee. The Pharisees were the religious rulers that would carry out and make sure that all the laws were followed, that the scribes had come up with the ways that they would adhere to the basic principles. It's like, don't you see? You, right here, right now, you are getting in my way of encountering God. Is that how Jesus would have you be? That unsettled my soul. When Jesus said, blessed are the poor in spirit, that's what he was talking about. We can't come in thinking we already know it all. Because when we do, then truly we miss out on the beauty of the kingdom of God. So where are you this morning in your faith journey? Are you willing to hear other perspectives and and see things in a new way? People will say that there's a spiritual awakening happening across our world right now. And even though religion as an institution is on a decline, spirituality is not. People crave something that matters. People want to be filled with something that brings them hope and peace and joy and Jesus knew that. It's called the kingdom of God or that's what we believe and this kingdom of God, this kingdom of heaven, it is amazing. It carries us through our darkest times. It holds us together when it feels like everything that we know is falling apart In order to experience that, in order to embrace that, we have to acknowledge that we don't have the corner market on spiritual truth and that God can and does work in all things. And maybe it's okay for us to admit that we don't know what we believe sometimes. That's not a bad thing. With the gentleman who pushed me that day, I went and sought out one of my spiritual mentors and, and I told her what had happened and told her that I felt like, you know, I had really been convicted as, as being a barrier to this man and his faith. And she shared with me that along her journey, she had encountered some of those very same feelings and, and she had to wrestle with, she didn't know what she believed And so she went on a journey, and she explored that journey with God and landed right back smack dab in the middle of Christianity, but she had to go on that path to experience that. Why is it that we get so scared when we don't have absolute truths sitting in front of us? If you follow some of the churches that grow so rapidly It's because there's not a lot of room to interpret and think. Not all churches, but some that grow really fast. You have a person, the pastor, who is saying, this is absolute. And this is what you have to believe and you have to do. And when you look at it from the outside, it looks all great and warm and fuzzy. But then when you start getting in and you start getting in closer to the leadership circles, you start to learn that there's all these rules and these regulations. And, you know, this can't happen and this can't happen and this can't happen and this can't happen. If you're going to be in leadership in this church. It's things we've talked about before, you know, like if you're living with someone and... They want to have their baby baptized, then no, you can't do that because you're living in sin. Things like that. Are you interracially married? Uh, That's wrong too. I could go on and on and on, and these are real examples of real churches that have turned people away because they were so bent on adhering to their spiritual religious boxes that they lost sight of the people. And they lost sight of how to love one another. And that was what Jesus was trying to teach on the hillside that day. Blessed are the poor in spirit. If you are poor, if you are empty of absolute knowledge and truth, then and only then are we willing and able to rely on God. And when we do that, things change and things happen It was the first baptism that West ever experienced. It was on our first preview service that we'd had on an Easter Sunday. It was this young man named Ibrahim Diop. He had been a practicing Muslim for all of his life. And he ended up working with this lady that attended West and was a part of some of our ministry teams in our launch. And... He ended up being diagnosed with lymphoma, and he went to Duke. He had to have a a bone marrow transplant. He was on death's door for months and months and months. He was unconscious, and this lady from West adopted him. She took him under her wing, and she loved him all the way through that. His, His family was still across the world, and he was basically here alone. She never tried to push Jesus down his throat, even when he was lying in that hospital bed so close to death. She just was there, and she just loved him. Finally, one day, he said to her, he said, you know, so what, why are you doing this? Why are you so nice to me? Why are you taking such great care of me? And she said, it's just a part of who I am and who God is calling me to be. A few weeks later, he said, will you tell me about this, God? God. I just want to hear just a little about your God. And so she started telling him about God and about Jesus. After he got better, like a year later, he came back to her and he said, I want to know more of this Jesus man. And so she called me and asked me if I would go visit with him. I had no idea what to say. Luckily, he had questions. And so we started talking about the fathers of faith and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the people of the Hebrew scriptures that he was familiar with. And then we got around to Jesus. And I said, you know, Jesus, he just loved people. He loved all people. Now he held them accountable, but he always erred on love and on grace. And he said, that's that's who I want to get to know. That's who I want to follow. I said, are you saying to me, you want to follow Jesus? And he's like, yeah, I want to follow Jesus. You know how that happened, folks? It's not because some, some Christian came into this relationship with somebody having it all already figured out. She just shared with him this God of love and God of grace. When we get so bent on making sure that we are right in our religion and in our rules, we get in the way of other people encountering the presence of God. And all of us, every single one of us, myself included, we can explore ourselves within and figure out what religious rules we are so hung up on that we cause people to miss out on the presence of God. So this morning and for the next several weeks, you are going to get a piece of a broken ruler because we want you to remember this. We want you to remember to be a rule breaker. If you got one this morning and you got a pen to go along with it, as we pray in just a second, I want you to write down on your ruler how you are going to live out being poor in spirit this week. What can you change about the way that you look at religion and the way that you look at faith? What can we do differently so that somebody might be able to experience the presence of God? I want you to write that down on your ruler. I want you to stick the ruler in your car or in your bathroom where you get ready. And I want you to look at it every day and let it be a reminder that we are called to be poor in spirit. Because when we are absolutely, totally empty, it is then that we are filled with the presence of God. And it is then in that moment that the bliss and the joy of the kingdom of heaven is ours. Jesus was not saying, if you do this then... He said, this happens now. It's up up to us to embrace that and to live into that truth. So will you pray with me now? Will you take your, your ruler and your Sharpie and in this time of prayer, write down on your ruler how you are going to be poor in spirit. Let us pray. Gracious God, you have called us all to be less of self and more of you. When we empty ourselves of our preconceived ideas and knowledge and wisdom and when we let go of the fact that we think we don't have the corner market on spiritual truth, it is then that we encounter you. God, will you show us how we are barriers to other people with our faith? And will you show us how we can empty ourselves so that we may be a people living for and with you? It is in Christ's name we pray. Amen. So I want you to take a look at this modern translation of the Beatitude in Matthew. You're blessed when you're at the end of your rope. With less of you, there is more of God. May we go and may we be a people this week where there is less of us and more of God. In the name of God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.